welcome to the Focus Series by Dental Head Start, where we focus into your favorite topics. Hello and welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast and on to season two of our Focus Series. We're now on to our second episode of the Focus Series and back with our host, the Limitless Dentist, Dr. Cajun Chia. If you haven't had a chance to watch our first episode of the Mental Health Focus Series, I'd encourage you to check it out. But before we start this episode, a brief trigger warning. This series topic has been inspired by the recent article published out of the Journal of Community Dentistry and Oral Epidemiology, authored by Dr. Matthew Hopcraft, Dr. Nicole Stallman, Dr. Roshan McGrath, and Dr. Gordon Parker. This paper revealed the results of a conducted survey that during 12 months of 2021, one out of six Australian dentists have contemplated thoughts of taking their own life, and 31%, roughly one in three, have contemplated the thought prior. If you really think about what this means, the thought is quite sobering. I really think a lot of us go into this profession hearing these statistics and believe, that won't be me, I can handle myself. It seems however that this kind of mentality is what gets us caught when things don't go away and start to fall apart. That mental resilience we thought we had gets truly tested in times where our failures can cause serious consequences. You may have noticed that one of our great sponsors of this podcast is Dental Practitioner Support that provide national 24-7 support services for dental professionals and provide resources on how to stay physically and mentally healthy in the dental work environment. We at the Dental Head Start team recommend to reach out if you have had any of these thoughts or even feelings of self-doubt. And now, onto the episode. I'm really, really delighted and pleased to introduce, over from the US, one of our first international speakers here in the Dental Head Start podcast is Dr. Martin Mendelssohn. He is a leading speaker and founder of Metamorphosis Coaching, specializing in team cohesion, communication, and building happier, more productive teams. He is also a resident faculty member of Spear Education and has been for over a decade. Dr. Mendelssohn actually turned a devastating medical disablement from his clinical career into a passion for helping leaders through science of mindset and positivity. Welcome, Dr. Martin. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real honor to speak to you from so so many miles away. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And when I first saw, I heard about you, uh, Martin, you know, the reason why I thought you'd add so much value to this podcast was really the fact that you have come, you've got such an interesting story and more importantly, a unique story of overcoming very specific challenges that many of us may not have walked through, but some of us here in this audience may be going through. And, you know, I, I would like to maybe first ask you, you know, to share, you know, how your journey maybe started in your clinical career, which then led to obviously that unfortunate change or transition, which required you to switch gears. Sure. I'd be happy to. My journey technically started as a teenager. So from the time I was 16 years of age, my intention was to become a clinical dentist, ended up finding a position in a friend's uncle's dental practice, and there I was. And so completed my undergraduate studies, went to dental school, and, and never intended to do anything other than clinical dentistry. And about eight years into my career, I ended up starting to have problems with my hand. And within about six months of the initial symptoms, I made a phone call that changed the trajectory of my life where I called and said, I don't think I'm coming in today and I don't know if I'm ever coming back. And I didn't. And 
I was out of work for 17 months, sitting at home. Uh, in the U.S., we have private disability insurances, and thankfully, my spouse also had a good position, so we were able to financially support ourselves. But we ended up moving almost a thousand miles from where we were, from the state of Maryland to the state of Florida. Worked in a dental laboratory for several years as the liaison between the clinician and the laboratory. Then worked for Vita's distributorship in North America, running their education and key opinion leader divisions. And then almost 13 years ago now, came to Spear. And so my my journey was not linear. It was rather circuitous in going from clinical practice to laboratory to corporate to education. And then during my tenure at Spear, I discovered coaching. And I discovered coaching because I was going through some challenges myself, certain things, uh, Cajun, we've talked about in our preparation for our discussion today relative to imposter syndrome and depression and feeling less than. And so my journey as a coach, I, I very often and very publicly say, was an effort to save myself. And so in doing so, not only did I find a different path, a different mindset, a different way of living, I then found happiness studies. I then found team facilitation certifications. I then found emotional intelligence and the certifications provided therein. So it's been a journey where I've been able to take my adversity, take my experience, take my not just personal experience, but professional experience. And as I like to say, put it all in a blender and and make this smoothie that is rather unusual to be able to help my colleagues, their teams, and everyone that is in their orbit. And I really resonate with what you shared there, Martin, about really taking your adversities, or I like to call it the mess that we're in, and really creating a message of hope for others. And you mentioned that, and I guess why I really resonate with your story, because in my own personal journey, I totally understand using the coaching space as a way to kind of heal some of the own traumas we're going through. And you mentioned one of them being imposter syndrome, which I think as dental professionals, we all experience at some stage, either as a dental student, as we're in dental school, or as a graduate dentist, as we're practicing patients. And I know that you joined the Spear Education faculty, obviously uh, as a non-clinical faculty member, and you were surrounded by dentists. So was that part of the imposter syndrome you were facing? And maybe walk us through some of um, what was the mindset like when you first joined Spear and what were some of the transition uh, obstacles you you had to face from, I guess, the mental health side of things and how did that affect you whilst you in your early days at Spear? Sure. Part, part of it was, well, let me rephrase. Most of it was my own doing because I was a practicing dentist. Then I ended up working in a laboratory helping to facilitate the fabrication of prostheses in a way that most dentists never get an opportunity to do. So when I look back now, particularly in my early days, I realized my level of knowledge was, was in a place that I could have contributed more. And so I kept telling myself, well, I no longer practice. I can no longer practice. What do people want to hear from me for? And it was a running soundtrack that went through my head. And I was brought on to Spear to do 
specific things and categories of, of things, which had everything to do with building community, building relationships, allowing people to feel comfortable at Spear, helping them take advantage to everything that Spear has to offer because it's such a wonderful organization. And that was very successful, but I couldn't see it at the time. And very shortly into my tenure, I, I pivoted to our study club organization and helped to build that study club organization. At one point, I was leading from a business perspective, our study club division. We began during that time uh, in one year, about 600 some odd study clubs back in, I believe it was 2014. One of which, by the way, was the first study club in Australia. So shout out to uh, Dr. Soriel, if he's listening. And it was an incredible journey. While all of that was going on, I was still in a place of feeling less than, of feeling the imposter. Who am I next to Frank Spear or Greg Kinzer or any of the other wonderful faculty members that frankly are, are wonderful human beings? And, and so it, it caused me to realize, which I believe has influenced my ability to be a passionate keynote presenter, facilitator, and coach, that people are people. Doctors are people, teams are people, patients are people, and we all go through the same things. They may be of different flavors, but we all go through the same things. And the minute you truly embrace that, you can connect with people differently, you can connect with yourself differently, and you can help others differently. Because we all go through it. It's just a matter of to what degree, how often, and how severe, period. Yeah, that's amazing. And I really love that whole connection piece because, you know, when you show up as your most integrous, authentic self, you really quash that inner critic and imposter. Were there any other specific things you or experiences you had or things that someone might have said to you that really allowed you to overcome that imposter syndrome apart from the new perspective of collaborating and seeing people in a different way? Yes, I think for me, there, there was a couple instances. For a number of years, I was the host of the Spear Seminars on campus in Scottsdale. And I was and still am uh, the host of our Spear Annual Summit, which is a gathering of people. In, in some years, we've had as many as 19 different countries represented. And I, as the host, would open, you could think of it as a TED Talk style introduction, both in length and depth. And I would start to have people come up to me and say things like, you're one of the reasons why I love coming here. Your words really resonated with me. And in fact, one gentleman came up to me in Dallas, Texas. I will never forget this. Eight months past the most recent Spear Summit, came up to me and said, I just want you to know how much your remarks eight months ago resonated with me. So I finally started to get real with myself and have conversations with myself by saying, listen, you are not a member of the clinical faculty. You are your own individual. You are your own being. You have value. You're not going to do things the way other people do because guess what? Newsflash, they're different people. 
However, that doesn't make me any less valuable. And, and that was a huge deal for me to truly embrace in my soul. And it's been a lesson that's helped me through, through a, a myriad of different situations, occurrences, and realities in my own life, both professionally and personally. Yeah, amazing. And I think I really love that, you know, you were able to change that identity piece because it's so, we, we wrap our head around of who we think we are. And it's not until we, as you beautifully mentioned, get real with ourselves. And it's so great to hear that, you know, it's so nice to know that the work that you, you know, from the work that you have been doing, which is by obvious from a third person perspective is amazing work, um, but hidden behind what people see, someone can still be experiencing, you know, that those concerns or those obstacles of self-doubt. A hundred percent. And I know we're going to, at some point in this conversation, talk about this. However, I feel this is a perfect place to bring up one of my dear friends, Dr. Kyle Stanley, who I know you know as well and have spoken to as well. And so he and I have kind of joined forces in the US to combat mental the, the challenge of mental health in dentists because the, the data is clear. Because Kyle, I, I'm the coach and the facilitator and Kyle is the researcher and the keynoter. And so we're a really good team. And so what he initially shared with me is pretty shocking that the dentists are two times more likely to suffer from anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and depression than the general populace. And the idea that dentistry is not who we are, dentistry is what we do. And so society doesn't help us in this <laughs> because society, when we're in social situations, we're the dentist, man or woman. That's how we're identified. And we put so much stock in our identity as the dentist. We, many of us, often forget that, no, I'm not a dentist. I'm Martin who happens to be a husband, a son, a brother, an uncle, a great uncle. And that's who I am, who happens to have trained as a dentist. There, there is a big difference and a monumental change that can occur in your life when you embrace the idea that, no, I am a person who happens to be a dentist. That doesn't mean you're any less passionate about dentistry dental care, patient care. No, no. But what it's doing is giving yourself grace to identify yourself as a human being first. And that is of paramount importance. Yes, so true. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. 
Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. was your connection and collaboration to Dr. Carl your first foray into this kind of mental health and well-being space, Martin, or had you previously also been going into these kinds of discussions through Spear Education and the work you've been doing from your own experiences as well? Great question. And I think the best way to answer is by saying yes and no. And what I mean by that is Kyle and I were introduced by a mutual friend in the middle of the pandemic. And Kyle was conducting his light side course that was a virtual course specifically focused on mental health. What I was doing at the time, I actually wasn't calling mental health. I was calling mindset and happiness studies or positivity having finished in 2018, I believe it was, a certification in happiness studies uh, by the world-renowned Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar who's uh, from Harvard, originally from Israel, who is just a powerhouse in this area. And so Kyle helped me put a name to it, yet I didn't even realize that's what I was doing at the time. And the combination, as I said earlier, of his research prowess and his keynote presentation style, his being very real and authentic and transparent with his story, me being very real, authentic, and transparent with my story really seems to connect with people. And we are very humbled that even if one person can be reached, that's that's a good day at the office, as we like to say here at the US. So it, it's it's a good marriage of our two skill sets to hopefully help as many people as we can. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess leading on from from that piece in terms of, you know, some of the work you've been doing, which is now through Metamorphosis Coaching, which is your company that you founded. How did that come about? And I know that you focus on working with dental teams and you've also got a team framework. You know, walk us through how did the inception of the Metamorphosis Coaching, what does Metamorphosis Coaching represent? What is this team framework that you share with people? Metamorphosis, by definition, is the change in an organism from one state to the other. And at the time I was founding my LLC, I was going through a metamorphosis and and I was challenged by my coach to think of a name. And the idea of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly very much resonated with me. And what is a really fun historical share that I'd like to offer happened around the creation of my logo. So I called a very dear friend who I've known since 1995, who's an artist. And I said, Rich, I'm starting this company. I need your help. Would you like to think of a, help me think of a logo? It's called metamorphosis. I gave him the same definition I just gave you. What do you think? Well, 
No exaggeration. 20 minutes later, in my inbox came a sketch, which was the forerunner of the logo I use today. And my logo that you can see on my website, which is just simply my name, martinmendelson.com, is an acorn that turns into a tree. And it's a metaphor. And it's a metaphor about what I believe about myself and every single human being I interact with every single day. The tree looks nothing like the acorn that came before it, but the acorn had everything inside it that it needed all along to become that beautiful tree. And that little metaphor encapsulates my company and what I feel about myself and everybody else I interact with. My team framework is an acronym that stands for transparency, engagement, alignment, and mindset. And the truth of the matter is, I usually start with the bookends, transparency and mindset. Because unless we create an organization, a dental practice, a corporation, where there has been created psychological safety, which has been very heavily researched. If you want to look up Google's Project Aristotle, psychological safety was at the heart of that. What is psychological safety? At its heart, psychological safety is the feeling of team members, regardless of their position, that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking, to put their hand up, to caution, to celebrate, to, to alert, to alarm without repercussion. So that is only created when there is transparency of communication and the mindset that drives that communication. And I actually spend a lot of time in the beginning on mindset because here's the truth. The truth is that everything we encounter in our lives, every situation is technically neutral. It is our thought around that situation that gives it power. It's our thought around that situation that drives a feeling. It is that feeling that will drive an action. It is that action that will drive results. And so I work with my teams and my clients to really understand through a series of fun exercises and videos and all kinds of different things that this connection between thought and action is real and it can make or break your business. And once we embrace that and we're at that place, then we can talk about engagement, how we're going to work with each other and how we're going to work together. I help create an alliance of what kind of place do we want to show up to every day? How are we going to show up when there are challenges? How are we going to keep each other accountable to engage within ourselves? And then alignment is within our systems and processes. So we have openness. We have our interaction. We have our buy-in to our processes and procedures. And we have how we are looking at our given second, minute, day, week through our own filter and, and being curious about our surroundings to actually question our own interpretations of a given situation, particularly when those situations cause an emotional response I, in either direction, happy, happy or sad or elated or angry, whichever you would like to say. Yeah, that is amazing. And I think I would love to know with the team framework that you've developed, and you said you work with dental practice teams as well. How have you noticed how that team framework has actually helped 
improve the mental well-being of the whole practice. I can imagine psychological safety. And one thing I've looked at is how your own individual mental health is very much affected by your environment as well, especially as dentists, because obviously we're in such a siloed environment where it's just us, our assistants and our patients a lot of times in the surgery. And so that physical environment of support or psychological safety or support, I can imagine would would really play a huge impact role really in, in that dentist and the team's uh, mental health and well-being. So what have you noticed through working with dental practice teams and dentists specifically through your team framework, Martin, in terms of some of the improvements of well-being? Yes. Yeah, so what I've noticed is a very significant increase in awareness. And so typically what I'll do is I bring in emotional intelligence assessment, specifically a 360 emotional intelligence assessment into the mix. So if I'm working with a dental specialist here in the US or in Canada, where they have their team and they have their referral base, we will actually have their team, their colleagues and themselves all take the assessment about that individual leader. It's anonymous. And the only person that's getting the results is me. And I don't even know how people answer. All I, all I get is the data. And that is then used to almost debrief the interactions I have with the team. And so what do I mean by that? Well, think about it this way. The report goes through various elements of emotional intelligence, one of which happens to be empathy. So let's use that as an example. What do you think would be your mindset Cajun, if you walked into your dental practice for a workshop with me, knowing that there was a gap in empathy between you and your team, I mean, I would imagine you wouldn't be too excited about that. So what we do is the results of the emotional intelligence assessment inform me in going into the situation, how far apart is this team? Once the workshop is then concluded, then not only do we debrief the workshop, but then we debrief the emotional intelligence assessment. And every single time I've gotten the same reaction, which is this. Again, I will use empathy. Oftentimes I've seen a pretty big gap between the doctor leader's feeling of his or her empathy or level of empathy toward others and the team's feeling of their level of empathy toward others. And when we talk through that, having gone through the experience of the workshop, which I'll get to in a second, their response isn't, why do they not think I'm empathetic? Their reaction is rather the opposite. Oh, that now makes sense. Why? Because we've flushed to the surface the gaps in transparency. We've ascertained how we can look at things a bit differently and give them tools to navigate through the events of daily life. Because here's the thing. One of my catchphrases is, there is no I in team, but there is me. And the me's in your organization is what's going to cause or hinder your overarching success. Dental practices are interesting animals. They're not 100% unique, but they're very interesting animals. Why? Many of them are smaller in nature. They are intimate in nature. There is a significant gap in many cases between the doctor 
and the team members in education, income, and life experience. Education, income, and life experience are part of the ethos that help us navigate and interpret the world around us. And when we're coming from very different places in those three areas, that can actually cause very different interpretations of the same event. So one of the things you asked me about is outcome or results or observations of the work afterwards. And one of the quotes I like to give is is from Dr. Jason Nicholson, who said, our challenges are still there. It's just that we know how to handle them now. And so the sense of empowerment by all the members of the team, having gone through the experience, having talked about mindset, having talked about transparency, having had the experience of creating an alliance of what kind of practice do we want to be come to every day? How do we want to show up when there are challenges? And how do we want to keep each other accountable can completely change the game. One final quick story in answering this specific question is this. I was recently in San Francisco, did a program for a team. It was about almost 15 people. An alliance was created. They they happened to choose the safe word pineapple, meaning when they notice the alliance is being broken, they are empowered to say the word pineapple. And we had two team members that were having a discussion that was not going in the best direction. And a third team member walked up, observed the situation, and the third party said, pineapple. It caused the conversation to stop. It caused the team members to take a step back. And it allowed them to work through the situation in a different, more comprehensive and more healthy manner to find a different resolution than they would have had they gone down the rabbit hole that they were doing. But that third party, that other member of the team, was there to help everyone stay accountable to the mission of the practice. So it was a a great day for them. And I was very excited when they shared that with me because that's the, the, the magic of coaching, the magic of keynote addresses, the magic of team facilitation is not that day. It's between sessions or after sessions when the rubber meets the road and we're applying the things that we learn. That's where the magic happens. I totally agree. I think it reminds me of that very well-known quote, which is, you know, knowledge is not actually power. It's only potential power, but it is only when applied in life or in a situational circumstance where the true potential of that power can be realized. And I think that's so phenomenal that I'm sure that as many dentists who aren't familiar with emotional intelligence and even that as a skill set, I can imagine you come across many dentists who find it quite foreign because obviously this wasn't taught in dental school. And do you come across that comment or that kind of mindset often, Martin, where, you know, dentists will will go, why wasn't I taught this in dental school to help me lead a better team? And, and why do you, what do you think is lacking in our dental education? I think is the better question. So that could help us be more cohesive team members, but, but better. And as a result of that, possibly have better well-being and mental health. I would say that I don't hear as often, why weren't we taught emotional intelligence? What I hear more often is the lack of realization that they need to be taught about emotional intelligence. And what I mean by that is 
there, there's such a drive toward clinical education on all parties. And there is nothing wrong with that. I'm in love with clinical education. While at the same time, if we embrace the Western ideal of dualism, that the mind and body are separate, we're going to get ourselves in a whole heck of a lot of trouble. The United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics estimates that in the United States, negativity costs businesses of all types $3 billion a year. Negativity costing businesses. There's been study after study after study that have been sh- that has shown that neutral or negatively charged brains simply do not work as effectively. Barbara Fredrickson's Broaden and Build Theory is one huge example that I talk about all the time. One of the studies was that individuals were shown photographs, identical photographs, with a primary image in the foreground and a lot of detail in the background. Those that were primed to be positive saw the primary image in the foreground and the detail in the background. Those that were primed to be negative saw the primary image in the foreground and missed all the detail in the background. Sound like it could be connected to dentistry? Patient presents fractured central incisor. Oh, let's just go fix it. Wait a minute. That's the primary image in the background. Why did it break? Would be the detail in the background. And so we cannot disengage the, to use a phrase, emotional intelligence learning, the mental health learning, the positive psychology learning from our clinical learning because they actually support one another. And those that truly understand that and embrace that are the ones that end up being most successful. And I use that term very carefully. And what I mean by success is success by their own definition, feelings of well-being, feelings of contentment, accomplishment, feelings of appreciation, all of those things. And so it's starting to change. I feel that it's not my own personal opinion. I know this is a very it's a a very commonly held opinion that we need to continue to break down the stigma of mental health. Kyle Stanley talks about this all the time. If our heart is broken or our kidneys broken, oh, go to hospital, figure it out, take the appropriate medication, have the surgery, no big deal. When it comes to this thing between our ears that we call our brain, why is that different? Why is a chemical imbalance in our, in our brain that can be diagnosed just like a heart condition any different than a heart condition? We're kidding ourselves if we believe it's any different. What, what I will also say is this. What I've come to experience is that despite the relatively recent acknowledgement of mental health challenges. We as dentists still feel that we're alone. And I will never forget in our first Lightside Live course, there was a gentleman that talked about how he would go over a bridge in his car every night and think about how fast he would have to go, how he would have to turn the wheel. To go over that bridge and end his suffering. 
And he didn't do that because he remembered his wife, his family, his friends, and several other things he shared. You know, if, if you look at the science of groups or the psychology of groups, excuse me, one of the things that Sean Accord talks about in his book, Big Potential, is this idea that for us here in the U.S. at least, we spend 22 years of our lives in this thing called school. And success is determined by this thing called a grade. Now, whose grade is it? Well, it's my grade. How is that grade achieved? Well, from individual achievement. And so we are bred, we are programmed, we are conditioned to think that success is only from our own efforts. And I've got to believe that, or I choose to believe that there is a very strong connection between this individualistic nature of our academic success and our inability or our lack of willingness to say, okay, you know what? Maybe this, this, these negative thoughts I'm thinking are bigger than myself, bigger than you know my own thoughts. Maybe, maybe other people go through that as well because we're so conditioned toward, you know, if, if, if you haven't been successful, it's because of your own doing and your own efforts. So powerful. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there about the importance of understanding the importance that not being so close, again, close focus with that kind of loop-like view of, of our own efforts and, and, and closing off that myopic sense of how we're seeing our life and, and really broadening and, and understanding that we are a cogwheel in a system collaboratively with other, enmeshed in other human beings, with other human beings to really create amazing experiences and more important impact for our patients in our dental practice. Absolutely. And and if I may too, just another bit of research or evidence, if you will, the, the largest study in human history was conducted by Harvard and it's called the Grant Study. It followed 263 undergraduate men for 73 years. And this goes back to Project Aristotle. This goes back to psychological safety. And they followed these individuals and measured everything physiologic data, anthropologic data, sociologic data. And the single factor that bubbled to the top more than any other about every individual's feeling of self-worth, contentment, and success was the warmth of human relationships. We are with our teams more than we are with our families. We don't need to be best friends with our teams but we darn well better have psychological safety. We darn well better have the ability to be transparent. We darn well better have the opportunity to give ourselves grace, to hold ourselves accountable and potentially look at things differently with a different set of glasses, i.e. mindset. When, when we can allow ourselves to do those kind of things, that's when the magic happens. That's when longevity happens and retention of team members. That's when contentment increases. That's when production increases. Because if y'all don't like each other and feel like you're not communicating, I got news for you. Your patients know it. 
You're not communicating effectively. Your case acceptance is certainly going to suffer as well as your, your basic ability to communicate to the patients why they need what they need, how you're going to fix it and what it might cost potentially. Huge pitfalls. If you're on the hunt to upgrade your current pair of loops, or if you're a student looking to invest in your very first pair, let's talk about Admitech Loops by Byron Medical. Last year, just about everyone around me was showing off their brand new pair of refractive loops with a wireless butterfly light that had just hit the market. I had to get on board and I'm pleased to say I've not looked back, or should I say down, since. Lightweight, sturdy, and stylish, Admatex Ergo Loops are designed to optimize your posture so you're not popping a disc trying to prep the distal of that 4.7. Level up your scales and cleans when you can actually see every tiny fleck of calculus fly off the tube. With a tiny battery light that clips on magnetically and switches out seamlessly even mid-procedure, say goodbye to getting tangled in your wires and the painful indents on your nose bridge from having to support heavy loops. Biomedical are Australian-based and are quick and easy to get in touch with and address any issues you have. They'll even come out to your workplace for your initial consult and fitting session. So look no further, pardon the puns, and join the club. And if you mention Dental Head Start, they'll even throw in a special added bonus. Yeah, that is so true, Martin. I think you, you hit the nail again on the head of the importance of really being aware of our team and, and how that our team is an integral part of our own success within clinical dentistry and why we need to be more collaborative, not only from just to help us perform better, but more importantly, outside of the performance and outside of what we do for patients. It is so, so important for our own well-being to know that we are part of something greater than us. We are contributing to more than just the patient. We are helping our teams as well as ourselves find fulfillment within our dental careers. And I guess to to kind of tie a ribbon to this phenomenal discussion there, Martin, you know, one thing I've been really inspired by is how you've really charted a unique course within your own dental career, right? Many people think of dentistry or a dental career as just the clinical aspects of working in a practice and seeing patients. But I know there are definitely going to be many people who are listening to this podcast who maybe either have been experiencing uh, a similar challenge of potentially an impairment or that is going to change the course of their career, or perhaps someone who is not necessarily in alignment completely with clinical dentistry and is looking for how else they can best fit within their, their piece of contribution to our phenomenal global community and profession. So I would love to, you know, because the Dental Heads Are podcast, the ethos is to help dental students become better dentists, but really it's about, you know, inspiring the next generation of dental professionals and the whole spectrum of where a dental career could go. So what would be some tips you would say to your younger self, but also to now the current student generation and of dentists and dental students who are listening to this podcast for how might they be able to carve out a unique dental career that isn't a cookie cutter approach. And, and, and even if they happen to experience a similar pitfall to what you experienced, which then changed the course of your career, how, what are some tips to, to navigate through that and, and how, how can they overcome those particular challenges? So when I work with clients one-on-one, whether they're in dentistry or not, what I've observed about them, and actually, ironically enough, what I observed about myself for many years is that we look at the world as if it's got to be this or that. Well, why can't it be this and that? 
who, who, who made these rules? So, so that's number one, because when we are sitting there in a mindset thinking, I can't do X because I'm doing Y, my first question is going to be, really? Why do you say that? What about X precludes you from doing Y? And I'll give you an example. I don't have time to read would be an example. You know, I've got to do this. I, I, I'm very busy in my life. I want to read, but I don't have time. Really? Well, how much time do you think you need? Or, or working out, going to the gym. But let's stick with reading just for a second. It's an easier metaphor. 10 minutes a day, five days a week is almost an hour a week or four hours a month. I'll give you a hint. That's how I read. I read in 10 to 15 minute chunks, period. So it ends up being about mindset and choices. What I will also say particularly to the dentists and particularly to clinical life. There will certainly be times, particularly in your younger career, where your choice of the clinical procedures that you provide may not necessarily be yours. What I will say to you, though, is number one, that will likely not be the case for the rest of your career. And number two, The dentists that I've seen at Spear that are the most happy, the most successful, the most content are always the ones that have sat back and thought, what procedures or type of dentistry makes me happy and gets me up in the morning? And what is the opposite? We're going to do less of the stuff we don't like and more of the stuff that we do. And if you're sitting here saying to yourself, despite maybe being very young in your career, once you have a bit more autonomy, if you're saying to yourself, well, I can't really do that, I would look any of you in the face and say, really, why is that? If you don't like doing root canals, as an example, why are you doing them? If you don't like doing surgery, why are you doing it? Frankly, our specialist colleagues are brilliant individuals and we are a team. Spare Education was founded on interdisciplinary dentistry and I believe that in my core, not only because of being around this institution for over a decade, but also just my own humanistic experiences. And so the the idea that I have to do or continue to do root canals Sorry, endodontist, I'm not trying to pick on you. Uh, the, the idea that I have to continue doing those, I, I would then turn it into a business discussion. So let me ask you this. If you don't feel that competent, as Dr. Spear would say, with competence comes confidence. If you don't feel that competent in doing it, you're not going to have a lot of confidence. If it's taking you two or three hours to perform molar endodontics, what are you doing? Do you really think the patient wants to sit there that long? Why would you not refer that case out and focus on other restorative treatments that you would rather perform and pursue because that's what you want to do? So what I'm going to say to you is that life is about choices. And there are times in life 
where those choices may not necessarily be as readily available, but that doesn't mean that's going to be the way it is forever, period. And what I will also say is that everyone, me included, has good days and bad days. And happiness, as Dr. Ben Shahar would tell you, is a comparative emotion. And he has this brilliant framework called SPIRE, which is an acronym, which stands for the elements of happiness. Because happiness and contentment isn't this one thing. Because if we focus on certain goalposts, as Sean Accor would, would call it, when we achieve those, the question in our minds becomes, oh, shoot, now what? You look at entertainers. I happen to be a Taylor Swift fan. She is currently touring the United States. I was grateful and lucky enough to see her the first night of her tour in the United States. And I was watching a Netflix documentary about her. And she was talking about when her, her album 1989 came out. It was her second number one album. And she made a statement that this was all I ever wanted. And, and when I got my award, I was thinking, shouldn't I have somebody to call? Shouldn't I have somebody in my life? Should, shouldn't I feel more happy about this situation? That's my paraphrasing what she said, that last part. And I thought, holy smokes, that here it is. She's worth how many tens of millions of dollars? And, and all the fame and glory, et cetera. And so I caution ourselves to not look at, at guideposts or, or posts in the sand as, as a guide of our happiness. Because what Dr. Ben Shahar defines happiness as is through SPIRE, as I said, which stands for spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. The spiritual, by the way, is not deity-related or related to organized religion, although it could be. Spiritual is about purpose and presence. Intellectual is about being curious over the world. Not necessarily always taking a course, but just being curious in the world. Physical, physical is about not just going to the gym. It's about nutrition, rest, and exercise. Relational is about the warmth of your relationships in the world. And the emotional is all about being emotionally intelligent and understanding that emotions can flow through and flow past us for our sense of well-being and happiness. And when you can get to a point where you realize, as, as Michael Singer said, who wrote the book, The Untethered Soul, you are not the voice in your head, you're the one who hears it. And you can take a step back and go, huh, that's interesting. Why am I feeling anxious right now? Why am I feeling sad right now? Why did that anger me? Why did that cause me joy? It's not like you have to walk around always questioning everything. Please don't misinterpret my words. It's about just simply being more engaged with your life and your thoughts. And, and th that's the advice I would give. Life has options. There are times when those options may not be immediately present, but that doesn't mean you cannot pursue them. Happiness is a comparative emotion and happiness is not a place. It's a life experience. And so I think that would be the advice I would give. Well, I think that is such phenomenal advice. And thank you so much 
for your time today, Martin, all the way from the US to really share your experience and your thoughts. And I'm sure many students and dentists, um, you know, our, our phenomenal community here who are listening to this podcast are going to be really impacted by those tips because, you know, they are so simple, but they are so universal. It's really, you know, what I really loved about that particular piece of when you were sharing about happiness was it is a comparative emotion. And so it's important to to make sure we, you know, we don't just get goalpost or goal-oriented focused, but we really enjoy the journey of becoming the best versions of ourselves, becoming the best dentists we can be. And so, you know, you've provided so much value in this last, you know, hour now that we've last been having this amazing discussion. How can people connect with you further and find out more about what you do, Martin? Sure. I, I keep it simple. Two primary methods. One is my website, which is just simply my name, martinmendelson.com. And the other is through LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn user. I have a newsletter called The Transformation Times uh, that has gotten a lot more attention than I ever anticipated in the few uh, six months that it's been out. And those would be the, the primary ways. Website, LinkedIn, and subscribing to The Transformation Times that you can find via finding me on LinkedIn itself. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Martin. And you know, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, uh, how you can find out more about Martin will also be included in the show notes. So do make sure you, you know, give him some support and go check out what he's up to. If you happen to be a dental practice owner and you're looking for some next level training to help improve uh, the cohesiveness of your dental practice team, uh, perhaps what Martin has to offer with Metamorphosis Coaching could be that next thing you're looking for. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.